<laughs> Kathy just grabbed that loaf of bread. You're going to eat that during the sermon? <laughs> All right. One of the great moments in life is to hear somebody you care about pray for you. When people talk to me about me, I'm interested because I can learn things. When people talk to other people about me, I'm curious about what they're saying. When people talk to God about me, I'm honored. I'm honored. And Paul had a great practice of praying for the churches that he had planted. He planted about 10 churches around the uh, Roman Empire, and, and uh, he traveled. He was always on the move, and he wrote letters. He was in prison for four years, and during those four years, he wrote four epistles, one of them being this epistle to the Ephesians. But while Paul, actually he was under house arrest, he appealed to Caesar uh, about his uh, sentence that uh, the Jews had put on him, and, and to appeal to Caesar as a Roman citizen, the Romans sent him to, to Rome to meet with Caesar. And during that time while he was waiting to uh, meet with Caesar, he was in, a, in rented quarters. Don't think of him in a dungeon. And people could come in and out and visit with him and have meals. And some of those people would talk to him about news from various churches. And so as Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he wrote, Because of these things also, having heard about your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love you have for all saints have not ceased giving thanks for you and making mention of you in my prayers upon every occasion. So Paul, in writing back to the, to the Ephesian believers, said, I, I, I think about you guys. I, I, I hear news about what's going on there in Ephesus, and, and it's good news. I hear about your faith in Jesus, and I hear about your love for one another. And as I read that, I think these people were doing it. And Paul was pleased about what he was hearing about these Ephesian Christians. So Paul prayed for his Christian friends because he knew, he knew they intended to live by the truth he had just presented to them. You notice the first thing we read there, verse 15. We're in chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 15. And that, that passage begins, because of this because of the, because of what? Because of what he had just taught them about who they were. We looked at that last week, the first 14 verses of Ephesians, where, where Paul said, you must recognize how much you mean to God. Before God even created you, he chose you. He chose to pour out all the blessings of heaven on you. He chose to adopt you as one of his own children, as his son or daughter. Before he created you, he did that. But because of your sin, because of our sin, Jesus had to pay the penalty for our sin. So not only did God the Father choose us before he created us, he sent his only begotten son to die in our place so that we could have this wonderful relationship with God. And then he said, because living this life as a Christian is sometimes complicated, sometimes is difficult, said, I send my Holy Spirit to process this relationship, 
to keep it active, to give you guidance, to give you protection, to give you teaching. And so because of this, because of who you are, because you matter so much to God, you matter to me. And, and, and when I heard of your faith, wow, I'm sitting here in this, in this rented house. I can't get out. I'm chained to a Roman guard here. And people come in and out, and they say, man, those poor folks at Ephesus, they're killing it, Bubba. They're really doing it. And Paul says, man, it just makes me so happy. And, and I hear of your love for each other, because I know some of you are a little cantankerous. I lived with you guys, Paul said, in Ephesus for, he didn't say that here, but Luke tells us that Paul lived with the Ephesian Christians for two and a half years. It became his base of operation, and it was where Paul went out to visit the other churches, but he lived there in Ephesus. So these were dear friends, and he said, I, I'm so thrilled to hear that you, you, you have love for each other and for all the saints. And so I want that to continue. I want it to grow. You're doing good. You're living by what you understand. You believe it. You have faith in what God has told us. And one of the things that, that demonstrates is your love for one another. So therefore, because of that, I want to pray for you. And so in the first verses 15 and 16, Paul explains why he prayed for these Ephesian believers. Because they were living the life that God had given them to live. But what did he pray? Now, I, I, I pray for my two sons and their families, and I pray for my two adopted sons, or are informally adopted, former students who we kept in touch with, and pray for them, because we love them like our own kids, like our own family. And, and, and uh, I, I pray for, I have some very dear friends that I pray, every day I pray for these people. And then I have my Monday list, and my Tuesday list, and my Wednesday list that we pray for. So who we pray for, we pray for people we care about, people we're concerned about, people we love. That's not the problem. The problem is, what do you say? <laughs> Anybody ever kind of think, you run out of words? I, I, sometimes I, I hear myself praying and I think, did God die and leave me in charge of the universe? Here I am telling God what to do with that person, how to handle that situation. And God says, oh boy, I'm glad you showed up this morning. We didn't know what to do until you came and prayed. And uh, now we got it. Okay, angels, let's get going. Buzzle just gave us the directions. And they said, what kind of idiocy is that? So I pray. I say, Lord, I, I like this, but it's always thy will be done. It's always kind of, I hope you want this person to get better, but maybe you don't. Maybe you have something to teach them in this. Say, so I, don't, I don't know. So I can tell you what I think, and you say, boy, there's, hey, hey, listen to this guy. Can you believe this? You know. Who knows? But there are four prayers I can pray with absolute confidence because they're in Scripture, and these four prayers in Philippians 2 and Ephesians, one in Colossians, I can say when I pray these prayers for my kids and my friends, I am absolutely confident that this is God's will. I don't have to say, thy will be done. I say, this is your will. Thank you, O Lord. So I would urge you, the only reason I told you about praying for my kids, I, I can't tell you what a bonding thing that is. I hope you are praying for your friends and for your kids and for your grandkids.
It's just something that happens when you're talking to God and you're thanking God for these people, for what they mean in your life, and for you, what you know you mean in their life. Is there a higher privilege than knowing that there are people who love you and, and, and just to talk to God about that? And what a bonding, welding thing that is to bring us together. Paul said, I thank God for your love for the saints. There's no more loving thing you can do for anybody than to pray for them. And if you're wondering what to say, Paul told us, under the inspiration of God, as I write to these churches, I tell them what I'm praying. Philippians 1, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Colossians 1. You can find them. I've memorized them. I pray them every single day for these dear, dear people and, and other days on my rotate. So that's enough about that. So the question, what did he pray? Well, let's look at what Paul prayed because that'll be a model for us. He said, uh, I, 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 here's what I pray. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, our glorious Father, may give to you three things. I pray that the, the, the Spirit, I'm sorry, I didn't get to the three things yet. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ will give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in your knowledge of him. I pray that he will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now that word spirit, some people translate that as the, that he will energize your spirit but I think it's far better to see he will give us his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit to guide us into wisdom and revelation. My spirit doesn't get revelation. That has to come to me from the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, now he said, I, I, the Father has given us, before he created us, the promise that he's going to adopt us and pour out his blessings on us. Jesus has sacrificed his life so that this, this relationship between us and God can actually happen. And he gave us his Holy Spirit, sealed with the Holy Spirit, to process this life. And he dumped a truckload of theology on us in those first verses. I mean, wow. You have to think and meditate your way through that. And so what Paul said next is, now, because this is a bit complicated, this is a bit overwhelming, I mean, how do you get a finite mind around the infinite God? So Paul said, I'm going to pray that God's Holy Spirit will teach you, will give you wisdom, and he will reveal to you these incredible, phenomenal truths about God. And we know those are valid prayers because we read in John chapter 14 when he was talking to his disciples and Jesus said, I'm going to be leaving you. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. I'll ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. And then Jesus said, all this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
He will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And so Paul is praying that God's Holy Spirit will give us wisdom and revelation as we try to understand God. And then we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, another wonderful statement about the Holy Spirit and his ministry to us. Where he said, uh, Paul, Paul wrote, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the person's own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. And this business of what no eye has seen and no ear has heard and what has never entered into the heart of man, that's what Paul explained to us in those first verses of chapter 1 of Ephesians. This overwhelming truth. So Paul said, I know you, if you're not struggling with this, all this information and what it means, then you, you don't get it. You're going to have to think with it. You're going to have to pray over it. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will help you understand how great the Christian life is so that you can live a great Christian life. If you don't know how it works, you're going to really struggle trying to live it. We talked a few weeks ago about the Columbus Christians, people who discovered Christianity the same way Columbus discovered America. He just saw the sandy shores of an island. He didn't even get as far as Niagara Falls, or Yellowstone, or the Rocky Mountains, or the Grand Canyon. He had no clue what he discovered. And there are people who are living on the shore, still living on the beaches of the Christian life. And Paul said, I want you to understand. I want you to see the Grand Canyon. I want you to see Palm Desert. <laughs> I want you to move inland in this thing called the faith. But it all starts with the Spirit of God himself guiding you and teaching you and help you understand how great the Christian life is so that you can live a great Christian life. So as he prayed that, I pray that, the, that, that, that God will give you his Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, enlightening the eyes of your heart. Chew on that one for a moment. Enlightening the eyes of your heart. Turning on the lights. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, you were, before you were a Christian, you were like the Gentiles, you were like the pagans, being darkened in your understanding. And so I'm praying that God will turn on the lights and you will enter into the process of becoming enlightened and understanding and appreciating and therefore if you, as you understand and appreciate, you start living out these magnificent truths. And so I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so that you will know the hope to which you have been called.
you will know the hope to which you have been called. Hmm. What do you hope for? What do you hope for your kids and your grandkids? What do you hope for your friends? I, 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 my son is going off to NYU, my grandson, going off to NYU next week. I hope he does well. I really do. His dad is, has his own business. I hope he does well. He's doing very well. I hope he continues to do well. Nothing wrong with hoping those things. The problem with hope is not what we do hope for necessarily. It's what we don't hope for. And Paul said, I want you to hope for the things that God wants you to hope for. Like being conformed to Christ's image. Romans 8. You ever pray that for your grandkids, your kids, for yourself? Paul said, we are being conformed to the image of Christ. Do you hope for that? You hope for the fruit of the Spirit? Do you hope that you can live out the, the Spirit's life bearing fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, self. Do you hope for that? Self-control? You hope that for your kids, for your grandkids? Do you hope that they will discover what they're, how God has gifted them spiritually to make a contribution and they can go through life saying, I contributed today. I made a significant difference today. It matters that I'm alive. It matters to God. It matters to people. It matters to me because I have discovered what God has given me to contribute, to help to build this kingdom of God on earth, and I did it. I hope for that for me. I hope for that for my friends. I hope for that for my kids and my grandkids. Or is my highest hope that nobody buys that pair of shoes before I do? Can you imagine how many people in our world's hopes never rise above their wallet? They sit on their hopes. What Paul is praying is that we will lift our eyes up. That we'll see the Grand Canyon. We'll see Niagara Falls. We'll see Yellowstone. We'll say, I hope I can go there. Uh, James McGregor Burns wrote a marvelous book called Leadership. It's a Pulitzer Prize winner. And, and I was preparing a, a, a class for a seminary course I was teaching on leadership using McGregor Burns' book, and, and it was a chapter on motivation. I was preparing a session for that. And I came across this marvelous stuff where he, he puts hope in a string of, of hierarchical activities. And, and he says, things we do are generated by what he calls wants, these visceral appetites. And, and, and I, I, that appetite makes me sense that I need something. And once I have that need, I hope I can get it. And those hopes then turn into aspirations where we think I've got to have a plan. And those aspirations lead us into commitments and demands that we make on ourselves. Uh, my body says I'm dehydrated. I have a want. My body wants water. And that helps me think of a need. Some people say I need water. 
kid says, I need a Coke. Alcoholic says, I need a beer. But whatever it is, we identify a need that will satisfy that want. And so we go to the refrigerator and I hope there's a beer in there. I hope there's some cool water in there. We have hopes. And if the hope comes to pass, done deal. If there's no water or there's no Coke or whatever it is we want in the refrigerator, we, ha- we start generating aspirations. I-, I-, I have to set a goal. I have to do something. about it. I'm going to go to the store. Expecting that the store will have what I want. And if they don't, start making demands. I'm lonely. My body, my brain, this is more of a metaphysical type of a need than the water. But I say I'm, I'm feeling this uncomfortable. I, I identify the, the want as I, 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 I need to be loved. I need to love. I need to express and receive this basic foundational thing. I, I, I need a person who can love me and who I can love. And I hope I find such a person that will trust me and that I can trust. And so I have aspirations. I, I, I'm not going to do that sitting in my living room. I need to get out, join a tennis club, go to a church. I need to find, I get contact with people. And I need to be kind of a decent human being. So I have some expectation. I'm going to brush my teeth this week. It helps with relationships when you do that. And then I start making demands on myself. I need, if I'm going to, so you see, and hope is that point where these things are generated. I hope it can get better. I have this belief, this thing that if I do A, B will happen. And Paul says, that I pray that your hopes, your hopes, the things you pray for, the things you desperately want, the things that generate aspirations in you and put expectations on you and put demands on you, will be things that are driven by what God wants in your life. And you won't limit yourself to stuff here. I read a poem a while back. It said, judging thyself, O Christian, is it meet to set thy heart on what beasts have set their feet? Affections are too costly to bestow on fair-faced nothings here below. The eagle scorns to fall down from on high, the proverb said, to catch a silly fly. And can the Christian leave the face of God to embrace the earth, to dote upon a clod? What Paul is saying, as I pray that you trade in your clods and hope that you can be everything God wants you to be. The hopes that God has set before us. The hopes that God has set before us. And the second thing, so so he said, I I pray that the Holy Spirit will enlighten the eyes of your mind so that you can uh, wish, want for the hope that he has set before you, that you will will want the, the riches of the glory of his inheritance among the saints that you will understand what God has for you, what this inheritance is, what the wealth of God is when he said he poured out all the blessings of heaven on us. What are some of those things that this inheritance? Well, it it includes grace and redemption and adoption. It includes forgiveness. 
That's a gift from God. It's part of our inheritance. This capacity to take the poison that generates in our life when we hate, when we're angry, when we're offended. So what do I do with that? Jesus said, forgiving each other, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's a beautiful gift, part of our inheritance. We talked about the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about God's spiritual gifts. Talk about God's Word, part of our inheritance, to read and to learn and to grow. Part of our inheritance is this Holy Spirit that Paul is talking about. To raise our hopes and then to realize that God has given us these resources, this inheritance of his Holy Spirit, of his Holy Word, of spiritual gifts, of growth, transformation, of growing in Christ, of being conformed to the image of Christ. Did you know that that's part of those heavenly blessings that Paul said God has poured out on us? Are we using those resources? Paul said we should. I pray that you will. I pray that as God generates these new hopes in you, and these new aspirations, and these new expectations, demands on your life. You say, therefore, <clears throat> I need to draw on my inheritance. I need to draw on prayer. I need to know God's word. I need to be part of a strong fellowship. I need the fruit of the Spirit these resources that God is now, if I never hope for the things God hopes that I hope for, I don't really need God's resources. I limit myself to my own resources. And then as I start using those resources, the third thing God pray, uh, Paul prayed for is that you will understand the, the overwhelming greatness of his power toward us who are believing. So as I start hoping for higher things and I start drawing on God's resources, and start implementing this Christian life. And because I understand how great the Christian life is, I start living a great Christian life, I find I can't do this under my own steam. I need the surpassing greatness of his power to work in me. And then one final thing. Paul said the power, and I think this applies to all of them, to those of us who are believing. This is a beautiful, beautiful construction. It's a, it's a, it's, it's an action kind of word to those of us who are currently right now believing. Say, okay, the power is there, I, but if I don't believe it's there, it's not there for me. That makes sense? So as I am believing that God has these resources for me, and as I am believing that God will give me these exalted hopes to be filled with the Spirit, to bear the fruit of the Spirit, to have an active spiritual gift that's blessing others and blessing me. That only works when I believe that it's true. I was talking to Kathy this week. She's a great inspiration for me. She was talking to me about, we were talking about uh, the faith walk, saying some translations uh, translate the word walk into life. But Paul specifically said the, the, the just walk by faith, because faith is a walk. 
And as we take that next step, as we take that next step, I'm standing here and I, I, I better hold on to this thing so I don't fall down the stairs. It says, I take that step and guess what? There's nothing under there. And so I say, well, there's nothing there for me to step on. God says, yeah, there is. You just don't see it yet. Put your foot down. Put the foot down. It's there. Okay, take another step. Well, all right. Well, nothing there. Just walk by faith. God says, put your foot down. Put my foot down. It's there. That's the faith walk. And what Paul is saying is these these hopes, these riches of our inheritance, this awesome power of God is for those who are right now believing that it's real. If you don't believe it's real, you'll say, ain't nothing there. Sorry. God said, do you know what opportunity you just missed? Because you didn't trust me, you didn't believe me that I would be there for you. So Paul said, I I pray because I care for you. And I'm praying, I think, the most important thing I can pray for you ever. I would just want to give you a hint at these four prayers. Paul said, this is my prayer in, in, in Philippians. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to, 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 you may be able to discern what is best. And in this one, I ask that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. The third The second prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, I pray that you may have strength to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. And in Colossians 1, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You think understanding God and understanding what he has for you and understanding the riches and understanding how great the Christian life matters. Four out of four prayers that Paul prayed for his churches. I pray that you will understand, that you will know how great the Christian life is so you can live a great Christian life.